You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for the whistles. I appreciate that. My name is Andrew Shea. I am one of the pastors on staff here. Very glad to be with you this morning. I want to encourage you with a few things. A few firsts that have happened in this recent time frame. For one, we had a worship night and baptism night this last week, midweek. And we got to celebrate together on a live stream, too. It's recorded. So if you missed it this last week, you can go online. You can turn it on. And let me tell you, you're going to be filling your house with beautiful worship and amazing testimonies because there are some people who are baptized for the first time and gave their public confessions of faith in the Lord in this community. Isn't that cool? Can we celebrate that together? So amazing. Very encouraging. I love that it was from three different generations represented. Those folks who are being baptized. That's such a good reflection of who we are as branches as so many generations are coming together. You know, another first that's coming up is our first Serve City event which is happening on September 1st in the Oakview community, this back-to-school festival. We're still collecting those backpacks. There's going to be 500 backpacks donated between all of the churches that are collaborating together to make the name of Jesus famous in this city. Our first event, very excited about that. And I was also really encouraged this week because in the middle of the week, a church reached out to us that's helping us with Serve City, and they said, you know what? We also have a backpack drive and stuff we're doing to help another school. We would normally do it under our name. Is it okay if we just handle it and do it under the banner of Serve City? I thought, oh my gosh, that's amazing. A church deciding on their own accord, they're going to put down their name and lift up the name of church unity and collaboration in the name of Jesus together right from the beginning when we haven't even done our first event. God is really stirring something up. Can we praise him for that? Man, so many firsts. And a couple weeks ago was the first time I had preached at Rock Harbor since I had been terminated from Rock Harbor uh, four years back. Remember, we started as Rock Harbor Huntington Beach, and then we had a not-so-amicable split four years ago. And it was really cool because there was someone from our community that was there in the past that knew us when we were Rock Harbor Huntington Beach. They said to me, you know, I've been involved in church ministry for over three decades. I've seen three church splits in my lifetime. And this is the first healing between fellowships that I've seen in my life. How cool is that? Right. I mean, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I love this being. And I want this to be a community of firsts where people can say, that's the first time I've seen that happen. That's the first time I've seen God do that. I really believe that's evidence that God is stirring up something unique in this church family. You know, a lot of people will talk about revival and wanting to see revival. People coming to Jesus en masse, you know, and I would love that. But I think sometimes that's a byproduct of more like a renaissance that happens among God's people, that we step into what God is doing, that we say yes to the ways that he's leading us. And there's new creative energy. There's things that are happening for the first time. And out of that, the overflow of that is other people want to know about Jesus and they receive him for themselves. So that's what I'm praying for is just more of that creative energy, those works for us to step into those new things that God is calling us into. This message is certainly going to call us all into that as we get into Matthew chapter 12. Would you turn there with me this morning? You can also raise your hand if you need a Bible. One of the ushers will pass you a Bible. We're in Matthew chapter 12. And let me tell you, all that creative new works and energy in life, 
We really believe we derive the energy for that from just consistently working through God's word, his truth, the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're not trying to just, you know, give you a bunch of hype and pump you up every single week. It's like, let's move through the word because this is what's going to nourish us to sustain those works that God is calling us into. And it's not always a hypey message that we get out of God's word. Let me tell you, if you're listening to a teacher or a pastor and every single week it's encouraging, it's uplifting, it's right in line with what you already think, they may not be faithfully preaching the whole Bible, the whole word of God, because when you just work through the Bible from like page one onward and you just read it for yourself, you get to some things that I was like, wow, that's pretty challenging. That's a little bit difficult. Well, that's because life is difficult. That's because we're difficult. Not everything is hunky-dory. There's things that need to be assessed and reevaluated, and that's what's going to happen this morning in Matthew chapter 12. But it's a good thing. It's going to be a good thing for us, and we'll get there. To set up the context, because we're starting in verse 14, as Austin preached last week, we've got these religious leaders, right, the elite that have kind of set up this Sabbath-keeping, this commandment of God in such a way that it just was proving their self-righteousness. It was departing from the real meaning of why God gave the gift of the Sabbath, that day of rest, in the first place. Jesus said, man, you guys have got it all wrong. This is about you know, rejuvenation. This is about a day of restoration. And so there's this conflict that's occurring, and it's been building over many chapters in the book of Matthew, and it's boiled over. I mean, we finished out last week's teaching with so they plotted to kill Jesus. In the beginning, they're just kind of disagreeing over theology. They're just disagreeing over practice. Jesus and the Pharisees, these spiritual elites, and now it's taken to a whole new level. They want to kill him, and now in this passage today, they're going to try to assassinate his character. So we'll see the response of Jesus, both to that death threat and to this assassination of character. And by the end, we will all have a clear application for us moving forward. Let's read it, okay? We're really going to be reading some scripture today. We're going to start in verse 14, where we left off last week, just to connect the ideas here and thoughts. It says, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Then they brought Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house? Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned." So there's two sections here in this passage. Uh, I want to start with the first section, that transition section. It's in verse 15 where it's recorded Jesus' response to the death threats against him. What does it say in verse 15? It says, when they threatened his life, he withdrew from that place. And I think we look at that and we go, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Is Jesus tucktail and running from a fight? Is he afraid? I mean, this is the son of God here. Well, it's all about timing and approach. Yes, in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy here, Jesus is God's chosen servant. He is the Messiah. The Spirit of God is upon him. He's bringing justice, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. And yet his method, his approach, was not going to be to cause all these riots and to get into shouting matches with the Pharisees, right? It was to be different, it says. In verse 20, the indication is that Jesus' approach would be an approach of gentleness. And I can't tell you guys just how unpopular this quality is in our human leaders. People are not looking for gentleness in a leader-type figure. You look through the history books, you know, we don't remember the people that you know, have gone before us because they were gentle. We remember them because they were boastful and because they were conquerors and because they were brash. But Jesus was gentle. It says, a bruised reed he would not break. A smoldering wick he would not snuff out. Now, these are not household items in our world today. None of us are calling, you know, son or daughter, go get me the reed from that, you know, uh, swamp over there and bring it over, you know, and, and, and let me measure something with it. But that's what they would do in the ancient world. You know, they didn't have, you know, uh, tape measures and things. So, you know, you'd use this piece of grass, right? It was sturdy and stiff and you'd say, oh, line it up against that thing. So that's what they'd use these reeds for, measuring, supporting things. But if it got bent... It'd be flimsy all the time. It'd be like a tape measure that is always cracking, you know? And it, it always happens to me. Anytime you're almost there, right where you need to measure it, and then it snaps, you know? That drives you insane. So what do you do with that reed? You throw it out. You know, a smoldering wick, it's not supposed to happen. This is supposed to give off light in the house, an oil lamp. But if it starts to smolder, that means it's dried out. So it's just giving off pollution. It's not giving off light. What do you do? You snuff it out, and you fill it with oil, or you replace the wick. But it says in this scripture, this prophecy of Jesus, he's not going to work that way. He's not going to break these bruised reeds. He's not going to snuff out these smoldering wicks, meaning he's not going to reject the harassed and helpless, the sinners, those who were formerly rejected by the religious elite. So though we both struggle to value, I believe, and emulate this quality of gentleness, I think we appreciate it in Jesus. I think we struggle to value it in our human leaders. 
I think we struggle to emulate it as people, becoming gentle and thinking that's a good thing. And in fact, I think a lot of times we prop up people in our society and even in the church, the sort of personalities that stomp all over reeds, you know, are suffocating wicks left and right. We say, oh, that's strength. But I think when we really sit back and we consider the fact that the one who's judging us for our sin, that he's filled with gentleness, I think we say, oh, that's a good thing. I think that's something we can all say amen to. That's what you want in the one who's going to be judging your sin. So look at verse 22. It's on display. Another of the harassed and helpless is brought to and welcomed by Jesus. This man is deaf, mute, and demon-possessed. It's a bad case. You know, this is about as bruised of a reed as you can get, right? This wick is smoldering. There's nothing useful about this person. But Jesus, bearing always... These pictures of his eternal kingdom freeze him, freeze him of these infirmities. And the crowds are stunned, stunned by his power to redeem this most broken of people. And it's for the first time we see in this passage that they start to kind of share this rumor like, hey, wait a minute, more broadly, is this the son of David? Is this the Messiah, the king of the Jews? But the Pharisees, and this is where it gets negative pretty quickly, the Pharisees, they're getting that code red signal on that confirmation bias that I was talking to you guys about a few weeks ago, right? That you, you look for the data that supports the view you already had. So they look at this healing and they say, you know what, this is perfect. This is exact evidence of what we always knew, that Jesus is driving out demons by the power of the prince of demons himself, Satan himself. And I've established, right, that Jesus is gentle. And he's gentle and he's welcoming and he's kind and compassionate toward the hurting masses. But he's not so kind when it comes to spiritual deception. You know, there's a switch in the mood and the tone and the approach of Jesus at this point. I mean, they like, they pulled the chain on the motor, you know, to get Jesus. The engine has turned on. The blade is spinning. It is time to tear apart some spiritual lies. And he puts those guys on trial right away. He says, oh, okay, okay, okay. Satan is driving out Satan here. This makes perfect sense. You know, you're telling me there's a civil war going on in hell. You know, Satan's just punching himself in the face, just shooting himself in the leg right now. Is that what's going on? Oh, but the hypocrisy of the charge, though, right? Because they said, oh, man, when our guys go out and, you know, set people free from demons, it's totally from God. You know, and they weren't as effective as Jesus. You look at some of the history behind it. They've got these herb mixtures. They've got these magical incantations. They're trying to, you know, try to get demons out of people. And it had mixed success. But they go, even with that mixed success, oh, that's God. That's God at work. But when Jesus does it, all of a sudden, right away. And it's powerful. I mean, it's more powerful than they've ever seen. This victory over evil. They go, that must be Satan. That must be Satan empowering that sort of work. It's this bias. That's what bias does to us. We've already got this, you know, pre-assumed you know, assumed assumption and we're just importing into the situation. Have you ever had somebody have a bias toward you? A bias against you, either in a workplace, a boss you just couldn't please no matter what you did? A teacher that just thought you were wrong all the time. You know, you're there. You answer the question in class. You're wrong. And somebody else raises their hand a few moments later. And they say exactly what you said. And they're right. 
And the teacher just fawns over them. Oh, what a wonderful answer. That's exactly what I just said, basically. Well, in the world, it's like a bias against you. You ever been in a group of friends and you say a joke and no one laughs, and then a couple minutes later, someone takes up that joke and it lands? You go, what in the world is going on here? Is there a bias against me? I mean, that's what a bias does in us. It leads us to accept and applaud a behavior in one person that we condemn in another. It's the same behavior, it's the same action, it's the same outcome in both people, but, oh, because we're against this person, we say, no, that's so wrong. But in this person, oh, it's so right. Biases aside, it is so exceptionally clear that the Spirit of God is concentrated in Jesus in such a profound way that the kingdom of God has come and that the strong man of Satan has been bound up by the power of God and Jesus is plundering him of all his possessions. Don't you love that picture? Can we get an amen in here this morning? Jesus has come to bind up Satan in this world. The strong man who had a lot of influence, who did a lot of damage, bind him up and plunder him and steal all those possessions that were formerly his. That gets me pumped. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to see in my lifetime. That's what I want to see in this world. That's what I want to see for other people. Satan bound up and all those possessions taken from him and given to God's kingdom. Now, if you can't celebrate Satan being bound up and plundered, you can't celebrate anything. And that's what these guys couldn't celebrate. Jesus makes it very clear. He says, you're either with me or you're against me in this whole thing. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. There's no room for you to sit back and just comment on it and spectate like you're doing and lob all these cynical thoughts. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. You're against me. There is no neutral ground when it comes to the spiritual battle that is taking place in this world. To illustrate this idea, have you guys ever seen like a viral video, security cam footage of somebody who either is getting, you know, they're getting robbed or they're getting shot or assaulted? Uh, you know, you see this on a news program and you've got the assailant and you've got the victim and then sometimes you have the spectators. And, and of course, you know where the assailant sits. They've done something awful and you feel terrible for the victim, you know, that's been wronged. But then when you watch those spectators, sometimes you'll see in situations that they do nothing. Even when the person's hurting there, helpless, they do nothing. They just kind of watch. Sometimes, you know, they walk away. They try to ignore it like it didn't happen. I've seen some bad videos of human behavior. You know, they'll take out their phone. I can't stand the modern world. We take out our phone and video someone when they're in a place of hurting. And so you've got the assailant, right? And you've got the victim, but then you have these spectators. And after the crime is committed and they just stand there and they do nothing or they just watch and they don't help, they're not on neutral ground anymore, right? We look at that and we think that's wrong. They're now in the category of the assailant because they're not stepping in. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. There is a spiritual battle that's taking place in this world and there is no room for spectating. But I think there's a lot of people in this world, I call it the spiritual middle class of America. You know, they're neither here nor there. They're just kind of living comfortably in between realities. You know, they're not really against God, 
they're not really for God. You know, they're just kind of living their life. Everything's copacetic. You know, they're taking up Earth's oxygen and, you know, spending all their time, spending all their energy, all their money, all their emotion on themselves and getting by. And they're not hurting nobody. You know, not hurting nobody. Not helping anybody either. You know, they're on this neutral ground. But it's not neutral ground. You can't remain a spectator with everything that's going on, Jesus says. Even worse than that, when you're a spectator and you end up in that mode, you can quickly devolve into this sideline cynic where you're not just sitting there just watching. You're actually commenting all these negative thoughts about what's taking place. You have no involvement whatsoever. This is what happens with me when I watch the Olympics. I sit back and I watch the Olympics. I don't know if you guys saw some of the competitions. And you watch someone biff it, and it's so easy to just think to yourself, wow, they did horrible. That was horrible. That was nothing like first place or second place, man. No talent here. Are you kidding me? You know, you watch the long jump, and you're like, that was nothing. I could never do that on my best day. These are some of the best people in the entire world, you know, but I can sit back, sideline cynic, just say, oh, that was a horrible performance. I tweaked my hip getting, you know, fried chicken nuggets out of the freezer yesterday, right? Oh, ow, you know? I'm not kidding. Like, I have no place to be lobbing these cynical thoughts at these folks. But it's so easy to fall into that when you're a spectator. And that's what these religious elite have done. They sat there as spectators and they've fallen into this role of sideline cynics where they've taken the good work of Jesus and they turn it inside out and upside down and they've confused the whole plot. This cynicism and this spectating is no small matter to Jesus. It's not a small matter when it comes to us. It wasn't a small matter when it came to them. He said, you know what? You guys are treading on very dangerous ground. You're moving near an eternally unforgivable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He says, people are going to get me wrong, and they're going to have to grow in their understanding of me. So I get it. You know, you speak a word against me, it can be forgiven. And the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter are like, whew. You know, there was, there was room for them to grow in their understanding of Jesus. But he says, when you walk in this territory where you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan, and you're calling good evil and evil good, you are walking on dangerous ground. Jesus says, let's not confuse this, whether good is evil and evil is good. It's so simple. Don't get caught up in all the religious language and the way they're spinning their webs. Good is good. A good tree bears good fruit. A good man brings out good things from the good stored up in them. And Jesus is the good tree. And everywhere he goes, there's good fruit. But a bad tree is bad. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A bad person brings out bad things from the bad that's stored up in them. That's the Pharisees. Everywhere Jesus goes, bringing good, and he's building something up, they're deconstructing it. Anytime he's restoring somebody through the works of God, they're demolishing it. He goes, can anything good come out of these people, right? He heals a man on the Sabbath last week. A man is healed, his shriveled hand. He's back in community. He can work again. It's amazing. It's the works of God. It's a taste of heaven. And they say, oh, well, wait a minute. You broke our laws to keep us from breaking the laws of God. You know, he's, he's done something. He's built something up, and they've torn it back down. And here there's a mute and deaf and demon-possessed person. Can you just imagine their existence? And here Jesus has set them free. 
and they say, oh, the only way he could be doing that is it must be by the power of Satan himself. That's what gives him the ability to do what he's doing. It's that quarrelsome spirit that Isaiah said would not mark the ministry of Jesus, that did mark the ministry of the Pharisees, which came dangerously close to marking us as Christians in 2020 and 2021. Jesus says this is a deep heart issue. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks these quarrelsome and empty words. Look what he says in verse 36. I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Empty in the Greek, it means idle. Idle words. Lazy words. Unproductive words. Unprofitable words. Words that are ineffectual. Words that don't build up. Spectator-type words. Words that come from not having any skin in the game. Having no investment whatsoever. Words from the sideline cynic. They're wasteful. How we offhand curse people left and right. Ah, oh, curse, curse zappers, curse zappers. How we have this critical comment about whatever's in front of us. How we condemn things that we don't even have any part in whatsoever. We have no investment in whatsoever. Oh, these empty words may be worthless, but Jesus says they will not be forgotten. Does Jesus mean this statement that everyone will have to give an account for every empty, idle, lazy word that they have spoken? I think sometimes we look at the teachings of Jesus and we come across something like, hey, you know, those who come after me, they're going to do even greater works than the works I've been doing. Or we hear Jesus say, ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be given to you. And we just take Jesus at his word right there. We're like, okay, yep, I believe him, literal, yeah, all right. Uh, let's apply that. And in some churches, you know, they're preaching that message every single week. You know, they play it up. It's like, okay, what's the works we're doing that are greater than Jesus this week? And it's the same message the next week and the same message the next week. We love those teachings and we amplify them. But then we come across, hey, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Or pluck out your eye if it causes you to sin. Or every empty word you'll have to give an account for. And we're like, he's exaggerating. It's a teaching method, all right? You know, we downplay it. You know, I don't think we should go here or there with either set of teachings. I think we should just reckon with this. What Jesus is saying is your words and my words matter. They matter. They matter a lot. And I think sometimes we can hide behind, well, my actions matter more than my words. And Jesus says your words matter matter. By your word, you will be acquitted or you will be condemned. So what do we do with this? You know, no doubt when I think about this scripture, this passage, it says in the Bible that, you know, the scriptures are useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So this is in the correcting, rebuking category, right? That's where we can leave this one. And, and that's valid. We need that if we're going to mature into who God wants us to be. So we've just got to receive a little bit of that this morning. But I think what I'm left with is that we've got to go about ministry in the way of Jesus. You know, he didn't cry out in the city streets. He didn't quarrel. He was gentle and compassionate with the harassed and the helpless. And I found that those who are oftentimes making the most noise 
banging the spiritual pots and pans left and right, when you really get into their life, they're not really helping that many people. They're just making a lot of noise. But when you find the servants of Christ, the laborers for God's kingdom, a lot of times they're just doing the consistent work of ministry, bearing the gospel without a whole lot of fanfare. And so I want to call us to make less noise. The Pharisees made a lot of noise. They made a lot of trouble where there was no trouble to be found. Let's make less noise and let's do more good. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't speak about the name of Jesus. Speaking about Jesus isn't noise. That's the good stuff. That's what we should be doing. I'm saying making a quarrel and a fight, an argument, and a, you know, a tizzy about everything that's going on. Spinning those spiritual webs. You know, keeping ourselves occupied with nothing. Make less noise. Jesus wasn't making, he wasn't crying out in the street. There was no riot. He was just consistently faithful with doing the good works of God. And he let the work speak for itself. Let's make less noise. Let's do more good. And it's not enough to sit on the sidelines when it comes to the work of Jesus. There's no waiting for the opportune time. Guys, I'm on kid number five. There's no, there's no opportunity anymore for me opportunity that ship has sailed all right it's it's another life right it was 10 years ago but at that time there was no opportunity okay and if I wait 20 years for the opportunity to do the work of Jesus it's not going to be there so it says in the scriptures make the most of every opportunity you're making the most of wherever you are right now because the days are evil you can say you got all this time and that can lull you to spiritual slumber that's not the case we can't spectate. We have to get on gathering up with Jesus. If we're spectating, we're not spectating, Jesus says. If we're spectating, we're scattering. You're either gathering with him or you are scattering. Gather with Jesus. To spectate is to scatter. We're either adding fuel to the kingdom's fire or we're diluting the spiritual waters. We're just diluting the spiritual waters. We're just taking up extra space. And I've got to be honest with you, right now we can't even fulfill our children's ministry obligations as a community. We can't even fulfill those. And that primarily benefits us. You know, even if you don't have kids, that benefits you because your brothers and sisters in this community are able to check their kids in consistently and they're able to be in this setting and their kids are getting ministered, they're being ministered to. The workers aren't getting overloaded and burnt out because they've got additional laborers over there. We all benefit. But if we can't accomplish our needs, how can we serve this city in the name of Jesus? How can we go beyond our needs? You might listen to all the opportunities that come up, whether it's Serve City, it's children's ministry, it's connections, it's common ground, it's this and that. And you say, oh, I can't commit. I don't have the time. I don't want to make the time. I don't want to give the money. I don't want to support these ministries. I want to buy whatever I want to buy for myself. Well, guess what? You can keep living in the middle. But Jesus says you're making a home and a life out of a space that doesn't exist. There is no middle. Even worse than spectating here or along the same lines is falling into this sideline cynicism where we end up even just decrying the good things as bad things. There's a lot of ministries out there, I've got to be honest with you, that I question because of the character of the leadership or because of the, you know, how solid their doctrine is, how faithful they are to the word. But even in the midst of some sketchy things, the Holy Spirit still is working in all kinds of places that I would never imagine. You know, so we got to be a lot quicker to just holding our tongue, biting our tongues and stopping ourselves before we start speaking empty words. 
Because we might overreach from saying, I don't agree with that, to actually condemning something that God is redeeming and working in the midst of. Let's watch our words. Our words matter, and they won't be forgotten. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, gives us the definition of the opposite of empty words. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's productive speech, not lazy speech. Speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So these are tough challenges, but it's all right. It's all good. You understand there's no room for quarreling and empty words and cynicism. There's a lot of bruised reeds and smoldering wicks out in this world that need ministering to. They need to be welcomed into the kingdom. There's a lot of good that needs to be done in God's name. As Isaiah said, Jesus will not stop until he has brought justice through to victory, even against all this backlash that he faced at this time, even against all the backlash we're going to face today. But let's not get in the way of what Jesus is doing as the Pharisees did. The church can't suffer any more spectators. We can't suffer it anymore. Any more spectators and cynics. We can't have it anymore. We can't have any more empty words and quarreling. Let's rather be the people who join with the work that God is doing. With the spiritual state of this world, we can't have any more spectating. We can't have any more cynicism. No more lazy words. No more arguing about things we don't need to argue about. We need to get on with the work that Jesus is doing. So I understand that this message is not the message you say, oh, let's open up and let's get encouraged today. But it is because it's good. Jesus is calling us into something greater and it's a gut check. It's a heart check. He's getting us to the heart of the matter. And let's ask that he would do that heart level work in us as we take this from something we've heard with our ears to something we're going to implement through our lives. So would you pray with me? Let's ask for the Holy Spirit to dynamically move in each of us Wherever we're coming in from, however we're going to leave this place, that we would have the Holy Spirit work the transformation of our character into the likeness of Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, the first thing that we want to cling to, you said, by our words we'll be acquitted. And we just believe that that begins with a confession of faith in you, Jesus. That it's only by your grace that we are saved. It's only through the forgiveness that you won for us on the cross that, you know, all the evil that's come out of our heart, all the evil that is in our heart, Lord, could be washed away and cleansed, and we could be seen as holy in your sight. So we're just believing a confession of faith right now is part of what it means to be acquitted. But Jesus, we want to live in line with that confession of faith. We want to be those who speak productive words, who build others up according to their needs. Lord, we don't want to be those spectators. There is no such thing you told us. We're either gathering with you or we're scattering. The stakes are too high. We can't just be watching the spiritual battle take place from the sidelines. There's too much going on. There's too much value in those who are bruised, whose lives are smoldering for us to just sit back and make life about us. God, you've called us into something, a great work. So, Lord, would you prompt all those who maybe feel like right now they are just a spectator. They're not, they're not answering the call. They're not joining in with what you're doing. 
Lord, maybe the answer for them is to step into children's ministry. That's simple. Maybe that's a first step. Maybe it's to speak to that neighbor that you've been prompting them to speak to, to minister to, that they've been avoiding. Maybe it's to give to that ministry that they've just been putting off, putting off, putting off. Lord, we've we got to gather with you. We've got to get on with what you're doing, the good that you have for us. Jesus, I pray that you'd, you'd still our mouth. When we're idle, we speak idle words. When our heart's not in a good place, we speak empty things. We can become those sideline cynics. Some of us are in that place, Lord. Soften our hearts through confession. We want to repent right now. We don't want to speak out of turn. We don't want to call the good things that you're doing bad because we're just sitting there churning everything through. Lord, help us to be those who join you in the good, making less noise. Speaking about you, Jesus. Doing what you did, Jesus. So, Lord, we're asking, would you, would you wash over our hearts? Because we know that this is a heart issue. All our words, all our spectating, all our inaction, Lord, that emerges from a heart that just isn't right. But in you, Jesus, in your grace, in your example, in your invitation and challenge, our hearts are renewed and restored by your Holy Spirit. So restore us, Jesus. Give pictures and images of what it means for us to invest in your work. Help us to be those who say, yes, we have the time. We have the money. We have the resources. We have the heart to step in. Make us those people, even if we feel like we can't be those people. Lord, give us the words on our lips that build others up according to their needs. Give us productive words. morning, I want to invite you to stand with me as we step into this time of worship. And we're going to be singing some words that perfectly capture the sort of exchange that we want to have before the Lord, that he would fill us with himself, with the way that he did things, that we'd follow in his steps. So let's, let's pray these words. Let's sing these words. Let's seek this transformation for ourselves from the heart level out into our lives and our words. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.